1: to over boo a podcast about the books you've been meaning to scream <laughs> my name is craig but i'm dead
0: my name is andrew's ghost <laughs> welcome to spooktober welcome to our annual spooktober celebration of all things spooky and creepy like pumpkins and and mummies and flu shots please get your flu
1: shots if you can because not everyone can they're free in a lot of places or a very low copay andrew we read books and (laughs) for the month of october we try to pick books that are spooky or spooky adjacent uh and we have one such book this week what
0: did you read i read the graphic novel slash comic book depending on your school of thought i mm. guess uh, from hell it was written by alan moore and illustrated by eddie campbell
1: and this is a patreon recommendation from tony thank you tony uh, hey tony hey. Wrote, wrote in <laughs> Uh, It's it's Tony with an I. I don't know if that changes... Hey, Tony! (laughs) Tony wrote in and said, You did a great job with Watchmen. Uh, That was episode 60. And I think this would be an interesting book to read, having some background with Alan Moore. The book is super long, but it is a graphic novel, so it goes faster than you would think.
0: Yeah, it is pretty long. So it's... um, How many chapters is it? It was published originally serially between like 1989 and ninety six. I think, with an addendum published later in 98 and then the various um collected editions published since then and i I think um eddie campbell is working or was recently working on a new like colorized version that may or may not be finished now um i read the original black and white which is kind of important to the style i've got some stuff about that we can talk about later Cool, but um it is several chapters you referred to this book... <laughs> 14, 14 chapters plus a prologue plus an epilogue. You said... Plus a million like footnotes and appendixes and stuff where they describe a lot of their choices. Those I didn't get into because I didn't have time, but I have read the full you know the length of the uh, the rest of it.
1: Yeah, you sent me a picture that and said, this book is dummy thick, is what you said.
0: <sighs> I did say that.
1: Yeah. Now, the reason that there are footnotes and... Uh, extraneous details in the back of this volume are probably because it is about Jack the Ripper Mm -hmm. Um, and From
0: Hell being a reference to one of the few existing letters that anybody thinks might be real
1: yes so the title is from the From Hell letter now that okay so we should back up we'll talk about the authors in a second let's talk about Jack the Ripper for, for a hot minute
0: right killed a bunch of people well in the eight, in 1888 I think was the main year that he operated and there were other like subsequent killings that happened in the 1890s and I think the 19 aughts, but people are not really sure whether those were all the same person like the the, the only five killings that were the five canonical like,
1: killings yes
0: that are canonically considered to have been done by the original quote jack the ripper happened between August and November of, of eighty eight, I think.
1: Yes. And um it was done in the Whitechapel district in the east end of London. Um Andrew's right, there were eleven uh eleven ish victims, five are considered quote unquote canonical um we don't really know i le- i picked up that word by going to jack the org, which seems like it maybe shouldn't be a dot org
0: just a, <laughs> just a really great organization they do a lot of good work yeah um and just ripping folks now there was you know
1: the all of the women almost all of the women that were killed uh were prostitutes in the east end of london and most of the murders involved some sort of mutilation or, um, it, you know, not just a knife attack. other stuff was involved, though there were a couple women who died in this time frame that we don't know if they're related or not, right? Um, And the title of this book comes from the From Hell letter that was sent to a man named George Lusk of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee. Because, again, this is 19th century London, so it's the Vigilance Committee. the
0: neighborhood watch of Whitechapel. And it
1: was accompanied by a part of a kidney, and the letter claimed uh, that the writer of the letter ate the other half
0: you just want to read it yeah i got it
1: mr lusk sir i send you half the kidney i took from one woman preserved it for you to other piece i fried and ate it was very nice i may send you the bloody knife that took it out if you only wait a while longer signed catch me when you can mr lusk mr policeman i gave you all the clues
0: (laughs) so one reason okay so a major component of the jack the Ripper like mythos and the reason why people still write about it now. And the re- I think the reason why it's still continues to like capture the popular imagination yep. is one guy was never caught. Like there are a lot of theories, but the guy was never caught Two, it was one of the first like big international sensation, serial killer cases. Sure. Like this was a big deal that was, was heard about around the world. And then the third thing was there was just this, huge media circus surrounding it because everybody wanted in on it, I guess. Like th- there were just, there were thousands of fake letters that were written to the police that made it almost completely impossible to actually like follow up on any real clues and really muddied the waters and made it hard to, uh hard to find who it was. There's another, like the other most famous letter and one that's referenced in this book is the dear boss letter. Yes. Um Which, is commonly held and and in this book the you know this this book in a lot of places is just like choosing a possible version of events from like existing ripperology i think it's called
1: (laughs) yeah it is called ripperology and i've seen forums use like ripperologists and ripper enthusiasts you know
0: and in this in this book the version of events they choose to go with is that that was fabricated by journalists in a in a uh an attempt to capitalize on the public interest Oh, season in these, five of the wire murders. okay yeah, sure sure yeah.
1: um there are like over a hundred suspects one dude who was doing a really good job performing jekyll and hyde was once considered a suspect in the 90s a dude wrote a book that maybe it was lewis carroll um sir arthur conan doyle advanced a theory that it was a woman um who might have been working with these women and killing them and then this past march there was a review of a paper that most people believe is garbage um, saying that it was a Polish barber named Aaron Kuzminski. Um I found an article about this on Ars Technica by Jennifer Ouellette. Um And there's like DNA evidence belonging to a shawl that was maybe one of the victims. But this DNA evidence is like 100 years old. And the only thing that makes it make sense is that like Kozminski was... Sent to an asylum around the time that the murders stopped, so it must yeah. be
0: him. There is a uh, an addition to this book that's included in in collections of it now that uh, Moore and Campbell did called uh, "Dance of the Gullcatchers," which is basically a comic overview of some of the many theories and mm. and how the waters have been muddied over that's the years. Cool. And they actually, I read an interview with with Campbell who was talking about the colorization of the thing, and and he says. Um, he's talked on and off with more about doing a follow-up to that because in the like 30 years since this book came out, there have been a lot of new things that have, that have happened, but yeah, it's a pretty good overview of just like, not only were all, there are all these like contemporaneous things that muddied the waters. There were like, you know, deathbed confessions from criminals who, who claimed to be Jack the Ripper. There are, accounts from like witnesses or people who are involved in the case like many years later who who have said things and who knows if they're true or not like it's a it's a whole thing
1: sure um and the only other thing I'll, i'll add to the like murder background stuff is that it did get a lot of people paying attention to this portion of the city which was widely disregarded as kind of a lost cause that nobody knew about and because it was sensationalized in the papers uh, people of greater means and higher society started paying attention to the conditions that people were living in um, and did like end up Reforming some of it a little bit. George Bernard Shaw wrote, whilst we conventional social Democrats were wasting our time on education, agitation and organization, some independent genius has taken the matter in hand and by simply murdering and disemboweling women converted the proprietary press to an inept sort of communism. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah that happens in this book too where where some activisty people talk about how <laughs> sure these these horrible murders have done more to to draw the attention to the plight of these women in this neighborhood than <laughs> all kinds of other
1: things. Uh before we take our break I'll just remind folks that uh Alan Moore um born in 1953, he's British. Um, he did Watchmen, which is being made into a television show for some reason.
0: Um, it's not technically, I don't yeah. think, being adapted into a television series. I think the TV series is supposed to be like a later on kind of thing. Yes, but um, as far as I know, like all the subsequent Watchmen stuff has been done without the yes, involvement of correct. the original authors. Yeah, um, he. But so he because there was like because there's a TV show and then there was a bunch of like. Jim Henson's Watchmen Babies yeah, like prequel. That's definitely what it was. <laughs> yeah. um,
1: but he did Watchmen, he did kill the Batman Killing joke, he did V for Vandetta, he had a big run on Swamp Thing. Um, and he's partially responsible, gets a lot of credit for the kind of modern, quote unquote, more mature or like grittier graphic novel comic thing. Um, he had set up an independent pub with his with his wife and mutual love partner called Mad Love, which unfortunately later disbanded when they both left him. Um, and uh. right, right after that happened is when he started working for Taboo, which is the label that published this book, which is like a horror outfit.
0: I think it originally published the first parts of it and oh, then folded, okay. and then they and then they published the rest. Oh, of okay, it, good. um Okay, with. Uh, tundra publishing and then kitchen sink press
1: great throw everything at it um eddie yeah. campbell was born in 1955 also british he made a series of semi-autobiographical comics called alec or like the alec series in the 70s um and he hooked up with more through the guy who was running taboo uh, citing that art style fun fact he is married to the author of the time traveler's wife which yeah. i didn't know no, no Audrey reason why. Mcanager, right? No reason why I would know that, but it was kind of a neat little. That's a book I always think about sometimes.
0: Yeah, you always think about it sometimes.
1: Yeah, well, timey okay. time is a weird
0: thing. Um, time is, I. Oof. that's the that's the spookiest thing of all right is is time
1: yes correct um anything else you want to say about the authors before we get into the book andrew uh
0: no i don't think so we can talk about campbell and moore's styles both in the context of the of the book i think great that's the that's the main thing to discuss with both of them i think is just like what they're known for and what they bring to the project sounds good to me let's take a break Craig, you know what? I'm not recording a podcast. I like to listen to them. You like to listen to podcasts? Yeah, I like to just put those sound pods in my ears and and blast some people's voices into them.
1: Well, I've got a podcast for you uh, called Buffs Talk Science, Andrew. Uh, it is hosted by some of, some of our Patreon supporters, Allison and Grayson, um, who want us to tell you, Andrew, and the listeners about uh, this cool show that they make. It is uh, meant to be good for people who want to hear about science from goofy scientists who are just a couple of plucky grad students. And, <laughs> and each episode features a conversation about recent science stories in the news, as well as an interview with a brilliant and charming scientist guests. Uh, and it's mostly just like a couple of pals talk about stuff they care about and occasionally like giggling, you know, learning about cows and their bacteria all the giggle that's a, topics that's
0: a, that's the thing that we do is we talk about stuff and giggle about it yeah it's true uh new- so it sounds like it might be a good fit for anybody who's still listening to this yeah i think that
1: is definitely the case recent episodes are titled zinc fortified bacon i wish i was a banana scientist no one is anti-telescope and for the greater bad i'm already sold on this podcast <laughs> man um so yeah if you like science And you like good pals, you might want to check out Buffs Talk Science. It is at BuffsTalkScience.com. Their Twitter handle is at BuffsTalkSci, S-C-I. And you can get new episodes every Thursday. Uh, Thanks to Grayson and Allison for their Patreon support. If folks want to know more about how they can get a message on the show, go to Patreon.com slash OverduePod. hey rip me daddy
0: uh, what huh <laughs> tell me about jack the ripper <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yikes okay well i guess that's staying in the show uh from hell's graphic novel it's about jack the ripper
1: yeah that's it well end of show um but mm-hmm. like we'll turn off the uh, mics but i do want to hear more about it please Um, So what do you want to know about it? Oh, God. Okay, so what is the setup? Whose story is it? You said they were making some choices, and I read that they based it on the account that this one guy put forward, Stephen Knight, who wrote a book called Jack the Ripper, The Final Solution, which is not a great title. It's a bad title. um, That seems to lay out some sort of conspiracy theory. Behind the whole thing
0: so definitely does that um so yeah the, the book is part an adaptation of a of a common conspiracy theory which holds that um the entire thing or at least the canonical five murders were done in the service of the crown to cover up the fact that prince albert victor had a married and had a baby with a shop girl oh. in, in London's East End. Okay. Um. So that theory and, and the book, the basic like outline of it is this happens and then everything looks like it's going to be fine. But then a few prostitutes find out that this happened and then try to blackmail the crown and get like 10 pounds out of it. Seems like and not so, a lot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And so the que- Queen Victoria then decides, well, we have to make this go away. And so she hires this like royal surgeon who is also a Mason named uh, William Gall, Sir William Gall, who uh, then goes about and kills everyone. Oh, is it? OK. And it gets it gets wrapped up in possible like a mental illness and a possible like god complex and some like masonic conspiracy stuff like yes. that that's where it departs from being solely about <laughs> jack the ripper and starts being about other stuff but the frame of it is like the one of the cops who is involved in the investigation and then this like clairvoyant psychic guy who's really a fraud but was at the time of the murders going around and telling everybody that he knew what was going on they are two of the only people who really seem to know the truth of what happened and so they'd still get together and talk. And so it's them like many years later in the like mid twenties getting together and talking and reminiscing and then the book goes back in time and then it ends with them again.
1: Just reminiscing about the time all those people died. I
0: mean reminiscing is not like they're not like talking about good times over a drink. It's just
1: Sure, sure.
0: We meet these people, they have some kind of link. Here, let me tell you the story about how they came to be pals and why they're together in the first place now
1: when i read that this was about this conspiracy theory i immediately assumed that that would be like a reveal at the end but it sounds like maybe that's not the case what
0: did you think would be the reveal part
1: that it was a conspiracy orchestrated by the queen
0: no that's pretty (laughs) clear like up front okay so (laughs) like not only does the queen know but through the through the Masonic society, like many higher up policemen Whoa. know, and that sort of blocks the investigation and lets a lot of these rumors like take root. Okay. like a, And in this interpretation, the Queen knows who did it and why, like the cops know who did it and why. It's just, it's kept from the public. It's kept from people lower down on the totem pole. And Sir William Gull is the killings become more depraved as he goes on. And the queen is like, well, I wanted this dealt with, but I didn't want women like totally dismembered and left in their beds for bystanders to find. Sure, And so we got to do something about this. And then the Masons are like, well, we have ways of dealing with this. And so they, they lock him up in an asylum under the name, um, his last name is Mason. They have a sense of humor about it, after all. <laughs> uh, Thomas Mason is okay. the name,
1: <laughs> and that's and how that's, they deal with the problem. And that's kind
0: of yeah, and that's kind of his his end. Um, but before this can happen to this this one uh, this one policeman and this clairvoyant guy, um, yeah, there's the the inspector uh, Frederick Aberline, and then. Um, Robert James Lees, who's the psychic guy. Okay. They like Lees runs into Gaul, like as they are going to meet the Queen about different things. And Lees is like, Oh, Sir William Gaul, I've heard so much about you. I look forward to meeting you. And Gaul, who does not look kindly upon Lees's field of, you know, chosen field of study, sure. says, I was not looking forward to meeting you at all <laughs> because you're nobody. <laughs> And so Lise is upset with Gull and he has reason to suspect that he's up to something. And so he goes and has a fake vision in front of Aberline and they and they go to Gull's house to like confront him and ask him questions. And he is, I think, far enough gone at that point that he just admits to it. Oh. And so they need to so they take it to the higher ups at the at Scotland Yard, and they're like, "Well, let's just keep this quiet and not make a big deal about it." And their Lees and Aberline's silence is eventually bought, and uh, so oh. they're the only—they're like the only people who are not part of the Freemasons who like actually know the reality of what happened, and they just have to keep it to themselves, or they'll get killed, huh? Because Masons rule the world. And and is that the takeaway
1: of the book <laughs> that Masons are in charge of everything?
0: I mean, it's not not the takeaway.
1: <laughs> okay, I did find a quote from it. So the there was a movie of this made in two thousand one or something with you know Johnny Depp or whatever. Oh, yeah. God, okay. Um, and it it's like a it's got like middling reviews. Like it like looked cool, but none of it made sense. Kind of thing. Um, I don't think Jack.
0: Sparrow the Ripper.
1: I don't think Alan Moore liked it very much, um, but there was an interview in the BBC, like a BBC newspaper, about it where. Uh, they asked him just like, where did it come from? And he said, the idea was to do a documentary comic about a murder. I concluded that there was a way of approaching the Ripper murders in a completely different way. I changed the emphasis from it to what happened. I'd seen advertisements for Douglas Adams' book, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. A holistic detest- detective, you wouldn't just have to solve the crime, you'd have to solve the entire world that that crime happened in. That was the twist that I needed. And so it sounds like... This is not. Let's like the reader isn't trying to figure out who did it. The reader, yeah, like is... the the
0: book is is. I mean, you meet William Gull before you know that this is a thing that he is going to do. But it's like it's foreshadowed a little bit. And by the time you get into like chapter four or five of the of the fourteen, not counting the prologue and the epilogue, you you know what he's doing. Okay. Okay. Do you and then and then you just watch the police kind of flounder around it you watch the lives of the women who are murdered um the reason there are five murders instead of four because there are four women who know about this this royal baby mm-hmm. who need to be silenced the reason there are five is because the fourth one is mistaken for somebody else and gets killed okay and it's also, like, I guess five is a number with Masonic significance or something. That's the way it's presented uh, in the book. But cool. But it's like Gaul kills this fourth woman, and he's talking to his, like, coach driver who is complicit in the whole thing, even though he doesn't... Like, the coach driver is the one who actually writes the From Hell letter, which is the in-book uh, explanation for why it seems kind of subliterate. Mm. Um, but... Uh, yeah. So he kills this fourth woman and he's like, man, it's so it's too bad that we're done killing people Whoa. because five would have been great. And then he finds out, oh, hey, there is this fifth woman. That's perfect. Oh, great. Oh, man. Neat. And the um, so the the last woman who is killed is um, is Mary Kelly, who if you look at the if you do any research about this, there are very, very graphic photos of her mm. as the police found her and just like the you know her breasts are cut off her yeah yeah thighs are are like cut to the bone her face is completely like removed and probably the most I mean there there are a lot of sequences in this book that are honestly a little hard to, to look at but the you know you watch Gull do this whole thing and he's a surgeon by trade so he's like very methodical about it and because he's sort of losing it at this point he is sort of flashing forward and uh, and back and sort of describing the parts of the body as he would to like students as he like removes them or cuts them open okay and it's just really it's really dark it's really
1: yeah how does the art spooky. style play into that
0: yeah so uh so Campbell is known for this black and white art style that was in vogue at the time, partly because of the popularity of a, uh, the black and white run of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes, the very edgy that, Ninja Turtles. Yeah, that, uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird did. Yes. Um, and so the, you know, the colorized version is interesting. We can talk about that in a minute. But the, um art in this is all it's all black and white he uses a lot of um like cross hatching for shading Yep. Yeah. um but it's very like a lot of his very like sort of scratchy looking pen oh sure and he's and to the, to the point where sometimes it's a little bit hard to like make out what is going on or who exactly you are you are looking at like i found just to use another point of reference that I think most people will be familiar with. Like it is much easier to keep track of what is going on in Watchmen because you are always pretty sure who you are looking at. Yes, sure. Um mm-hmm. because the art style is identifiable and the character design is all very, you know, obvious and all and the lines are pretty clean. You know, it's a it's a clarity is part of the point of that art style where Campbell talks about um he's talking about the uh the colorization and he and he says and it's kind of a – it's almost a complete redo, and he's also, like, redoing some stuff to uh, to make it more consistent and to correct, like, some errors in the actual buildings that he drew sometimes. Um, he says, the phrase we're using is, I'm revising it for color clarity and continuity. Uh, sometimes if things aren't clear enough, I can go in and clarify what's going on. Um I'm trying to draw the actual Victorian London. There are all kinds of obscurities and anomalies that I had to take into account. Like sometimes we're saying this person could have been here, but make it so it's deniable. Uh, Like this woman called Emma, she could have been a ripper victim, Mary Kelly, but we'll only show her from the back, slightly out of focus, so you can't be sure. I was trying to develop a style of deniability where we could always say, oh, no, it's not her at all. I mean, it might be, but who can say for certain? That required a lot of foggy drawing, a lot of soft focus where things are not definitely so. If we don't have the evidence for it, we're only hinting at it that it might have happened this way. I had to draw it in a way that was vague. That's why a lot of From Hell has that look. It's like you're seeing the evidence from the back of a galloping horse.
1: Um, That's a cool way to think about drawing a thing that has to do with evidence and crime because yeah. like that you can't quite do that on the page unless you're like really explicitly going through a, a you know, a character's point of view and like leaving things blank or um, like being very mysterious with your metaphors. But like here you are actively like putting the reader, in the role of detective and saying like can you figure out what this page
0: is <laughs> well no, a lot of the the interesting thing about it being all black and white is that you know there there are a lot of night scenes there's a lot of darkness but also you know black is the color that you have to use to represent all the blood and the core and the things that you're doing so there's a lot of like running together of like the nighttime and of the like grisly things that are happening huh that that contributes to this sort of this vague foggy feeling now he says of the of the colored version i think if you were a big fan of this you would want to read both and get different things out of both of them mm-hmm. um but he's talking about you know there are the good thing about computers is that they have a million colors and he talks about before you know computerized color and you'd have to lay out all these colors by hand and decide exactly what you wanted to do um the thing with the color is it gives me another layer of expression to lay over everything of all the layers of expression that are already in from hell. It gives me another layer of suggestion. I can make things more suggestive than you can in black and white In black and white. I do it with the cross hatching. The cross is still there, but now I can take it and make it gray, put a dark gray over a light gray or vice versa. There are all these subtleties and differences. There's a million choices for everything I'm looking at, uh, for somebody who's already familiar with it, it'll be like seeing it for the first time. Um, See so, yeah, i I found the art style off putting at first because I was just like literally, I don't know who I don't know <laughs> if I'm supposed to know who this character is. Like they're all just these old timey white folks in old timey clothes. <laughs> like, does this guy's mustache look familiar? Like, what am I what kind of cues am I looking at? Yeah, yeah. Uh, with Gull, you get kind of a first person perspective where you're looking at his hands a lot. Huh. Um so that becomes a pretty like, commonly used signifier for him. Okay. But yeah, like otherwise it was a little confusing at first. You do get into it. And then when I read this explanation, I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Sure. But is, that's, that's one of the big takeaways. This is just a very unique style.
1: So, so is he the, like, once you know who he is, are you, are you following any one person? Like, are you following him a lot? Or are you jumping around? Or when you get introduced to these, to the victims like do we spend time with them before anything bad happens
0: you probably spend the most time with mary kelly and like honestly their lives are pretty bad like they are they are oftentimes they were not prostitutes and then they you know they sort of fell into it when their husbands ran off or they you know they ran out of money or they they succumb to like alcoholism maybe succumbed is the right word but like that's the yeah one of the problems yeah. they're dealing with um so yeah you you follow around mary kelly you do you follow around william gall a lot um one of the chapters in the middle of the book is just this big basically alan moore monologue yeah where he is driving around with his driver and they are and he's like doing this big thing where he's talking about how everything goes back to like the masons and the sun God and how (laughs) all about like men subduing women. Like that's a component to this as well. Like if you, if you research the Ripper crimes a lot, like something that people get fixated on is suspects who had like a history of hating women or a reason to hate women. Yeah. 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 Because it was the the victims were all women. Well, and Um, and
1: they were, and Many of them were, you know, as we've been saying, were victims of like intense mutil, like mutilation. I guess I yeah. almost said mutilization. Yeah, yeah. That's not a word. Uh, yeah. So, no, the, and
0: the the early ones are just like, oh, an organ is removed or, or something, and and that is what caused um, inspectors at the time, and then you know the armchair inspectors that we have now to to uh, surmise that possibly the the culprit had some medical skill like the woman who the uh i think it's the kidney is removed from is that what's referenced in the from hell letter yeah yeah they're saying in the book you know there is a if you were doing this in the dark with people around in a couple of minutes like there's a membrane that needs to be removed to even get at this kidney and so to get Get it out with such precision would require some knowledge of, like, anatomy in the human body. Sure, 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 sure. Um, Yeah.
1: So what else about it feels very Alan Moore-y if we're not... Like, it sounds like, okay, we're getting the portrait of the world that these women are living in even though it doesn't sound like we're getting like a chapter about each of them necessarily you haven't said that
0: no no okay
1: um what about it as someone i know you've read watchmen we we both read watchmen and we have a sense of who like Moore's ethos about like systemic problems and things anything aside from that monologue about you know, tortured gross masculinity,
0: <laughs> probably the Alan Mooreist section of it is there's a bit, um, getting toward the end where he's killing uh Mary Kelly, and this is you know, again, his his th- the worst of the mutilations we see, um, where he you know, he's already kind of phasing in time a little bit. This is you see a flash forward to the like the the Masons who decide to commit him and you see a flashback to him in a classroom, like teaching students about the, you know, the, the importance of organs. And so you see this suddenly, he, you know, he is dismembering this woman and suddenly he is standing in what is recognizably like a early to mid nineties office with like computers and cell phones and short haircuts for women. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And, um, and he says, I'm going to try and read this and we'll see if it works without the images. Sure, um, sure. Oh, dear God, this is gall talking. Dear God, what is this ether I have come upon? What spirits are these laboring in what heavenly light? No, this is dazzle, but not yet divinity. Nor are these heathen wraiths about me, spirits lacking even that vitality. Uh, what then? Am I like St. John the Divine, vouchsafed a glimpse of those last times? Are these the days my death shall spare me? It would seem we are to suffer an apocalypse of cockatoos. This is in reference to a spiky haircut uh, woman that he saw. Okay. Morose barbaric children playing joylessly with their unfathomable, unfathomable toys. <laughs> Where comes this dullness in your eyes? How has your century numbed you so? Shall man be given marvels only when he is beyond all wonder? Your days were born in blood and fires. Whereof in you I may not see the meanest spark. Your past is pain and iron. Know yourselves. With all your shimmering numbers and your lights, think not to be inured to history. It's black roots occurs you. It is inside you. Are you asleep to it that cannot feel its breath upon your neck, nor see what it soaks its cuffs? See me, wake up and look upon me. I am come amongst you. I am with you always. And so kind of putting himself in this position of like, of like primal early mankind. Um, and then this is this is mirrored a little bit like late in the book where he is in this asylum, he is dying, and he has like some flash forwards to, to real things that happened in you know in the in the 20th century, and he is positioning himself sort of as as God because he through his his he through murdering these these people and like capturing the public imagination in the way that he did has helped like birth the 20th century as the 19th century ends okay yeah sure because it's you know especially like early on I mean I guess throughout the century but especially you know in the uh, let's call it like the the teens 20s 30s 40s those decades a lot of people died and so yeah. he's sort of taking credit for t- like bringing this violent, era of humanity into existence i guess well and, and it's all and it's all part of this like grand masonic tradition and and mythos and everything yeah
1: so more is making a connection between a dude who killed at least five women in london but became sensationalized to the point of copycat murder etc etc and the human like impulse to violence that seems particularly uh present in the 20th century I guess Mm -hmm. yeah okay okay Alan Moore I think I get it
0: so I'll I'll say that's kind of all I really am have come like ready to talk about because uh, you know that doing a plot synopsis We've kind of done it already by covering the version of the of the Ripper crimes that this book is kind of treating as as canonical. OK, though, you know, it's adding its uh, its own stuff in. But um,
1: what about the was there anything about the Mason stuff or about the interplay with like the queen and the cops that like stands out as remarkable or interesting? Because that's the kind of stuff that is not in. Oh, it was this guy who was a depraved <laughs> barber from down the street. You know, that's the stuff that is more systemic.
0: Yeah, it's it's both like whenever you see the queen, she's just kind of sitting in a dark room. Okay. Um, just like talking. And it's just her against against a black background most of the time. But that like that's the picture of of power that you get is it's just a woman sitting alone making these decisions like trying to protect her family and not necessarily overly preoccupied with the with her subjects except insofar as they'd view their the crown and, and her um this is you know this is happening kind of at the peak of british power like maybe not the peak, but a peak. You know, it's the sort of sun doesn't set on the British Empire phase, but also not long before the sun does start to set <laughs> on yep, the Empire. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> so you got this this picture of like one one thing that they're trying to accomplish is to keep the people sort of mollified so that there is not some big, like they talk a little bit about like French revolutions that are happening in this period. And I'm not, cause I'm not a historian. I'm not sure which ones they're talking about because it does seem like the French are just doing a lot of revolutions for like two or 300 years in here. <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm trying to remember. Um, I know that the, there's a big year of, there's a big year of revolutions in 1848, which is a like another French revolution. And then that had like a big wave effect through Europe and a couple of different countries. So this would have been like 40 years after that. I don't know if there was anything in the 60s or 1860s or 70s, but that makes sense. And that could also like in the, when Moore is writing this in the late eighties and then going into the nineties, you know, you, you are dealing with the sunset of the Soviet union and kind of a reordering there you're seeing. I don't remember when the Yugoslav conflict happens but that's like i think after the fall of the wall
0: i think it's mid 90s i want yeah, to say okay
1: okay okay um but yeah um, just like geopolitical changes run through a monarch or run through some sort of shadowy cabal who's supposed to be controlling all of it anyway um what what way back up all the way to the beginning why is it a problem if this dude had a kid out of wedlock what are these women gonna do about it Is that how's that gonna? They're
0: they're trying to. They're they're just saying, "Give us money. money. Give (laughs) us money, or we'll tell everyone that your, you know, your royal kid had this baby." Okay.
1: Okay. I guess that's bad. That's bad enough. Yeah, they don't
0: want like people to find out about it. They don't want people to write. So it's like simultaneously, yeah, the queen controls everything, and the masons control everything. Like there, there are these two big powers that purport to control everything. But then also, in the end. Gull has just like taken upon himself this responsibility to do this thing. Like when the when the Masons are trying him at the end, he can you time code me? I actually want to read what he says. It's a pretty solid burn. Yep. So the So the the guy who's running this this I don't know what to call it, like a trial, a panel. I don't know. (laughs) He's he's telling Gull, Knight of the East, you stand accused of mayhems that have placed our brotherhood in jeopardy before your peers, Masons and Doctors both. To which Gaul says, I have no peers here here present. What? I fancy that you understand me, sir. There is no man amongst you fit to judge the mighty art that I have wrought. <laughs> Your rituals are empty oaths. You neither understand nor live by. You cite the great arch- architect, yet you would befoul yourselves should he address you. <laughs>
1: yes, But he
0: does not address you, nor Westcott there, nor Woodford by his side, for all their mummery, not Dr. Howard ever in his cups. And yet he speaks to me. He is the balance... Where my deeds are weighed and judged, not you. Sir William, this is insufferable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you do not seem to understand the seriousness of this charge. I fear that you are suffering from delusions. Indeed, fear rather that I'm not. Huh. And that's the thing. Yeah, so uh, Gull has like maybe a year before this happens, he has a kind of minor cardiac episode I don't know if it's a heart attack or a stroke or, or or what it is that we would call it now but he has a a health event that makes him briefly hallucinate and believe that he sees God and I think that's where those the book is a little the book leaves up to you I guess whether he has actually seen this or whether he's kind of suffering from delusions of grandeur based on brain problems sure
1: sure 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 Um,
0: I think the fact that he does see what is clearly like stuff that happens in the future invites you to believe that he is actually experiencing what he thinks he's experiencing but in the end you know like campbell says you know it's it's vague it it tells you something but does it
1: yeah and, and it's,
0: it's just kind of intentionally uh sort of foggy
1: well like that. yeah and and things like that can often actually enable it certainly worked on me on, on things where it enables you to make a connection that is emotional and thematic that if it were a concrete reality in the fiction I'd be like oh well now I have a bunch of questions about how it worked and if I don't really if I can't really ever tell how it works or why it works then I get to like move on to whatever the author actually intended with like what if he could see computers and have opinions <laughs> about people being online I guess. Um and then it the other big thing that you were just kind of alluding to as he's like saying that he is above them. This does feel like a thing that happens in superhero stories sometimes where like the bad guy hires a worse bad guy who is out of control. You know, how mm-hmm. does does the book kind of at what point do the Masons like try to stop him early and they can't?
0: Yeah, I mean, but because his last the last thing that he does is by far the worst. There is kind of a check-in a little bit earlier where the queen is like, "Listen, I told you to take care of this, but are you sure you need to do it this way?" <laughs> okay. Um and then there's also a whole another chapter where you uh meet this sad figure um named uh, drew it okay who is like the the cops decide that to to make this go away even after like Gauls confess they they you know they they need someone else to blame it on so nobody keeps asking questions so other people don't find out what actually happened mm-hmm. which would expose both the crown and the masons and neither group wants that and so they say you know we need to find somebody who is kind of a loner without a lot of close friends who nobody's going to defend who maybe we can accuse of some impropriety. So they find this uh, boarding school teacher whose name is Druitt, who um, is also a cricket coach and like one of his players like accuses him of, of kissing them And so he is fired by the school. And then after this, he is thrown in the river by some cops who are, you know, creating this narrative where this guy did all these crimes. He felt really bad about it. And then he killed himself. My case. God. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's the other thing. And you alluded to this earlier that like the people were forging these like letters, like the Dear Boss letter and stuff where there is there are incentives for people to make it look like the cops are handling things or
0: well there's a whole other there's a whole another page where it's talking about all the letters that have come in from all kinds of sources and like who who does this stuff
1: oh and you get
0: this you get this cool page with just a few panels that shows different people who are it's kind of a modern day version of like internet trolls or something like people who present one face to like friends and family and then get on the internet and do and say really horrible things. Um, So they are just like normal, typical folks who then go into their study and write letters from the perspective of a serial killer to send them to the police.
1: Oh, wow. Um, That's fascinating. Does it? Yeah. So
0: it's like, it's, it's this, there is some intentional muddying of the waters. There is this, there is an accidental muddying of the water is that they try to take advantage of i guess okay to just kind of conceal the actual events um some of it is in their control and a lot of it is not
1: sure and are there any yeah. actual like copycat murders in the story that they deal with because that's a huge part of the mythos and, yeah. and what actually not a, that not that in mythos this story is not the right word for a bunch of people who did get killed yeah mm. well
0: it's uh, ripperology yeah. is <laughs> Is a term <laughs> that kind of gives us a lot of leeway to just do and say whatever we want, I guess. Um, but
1: there are copycats, maybe
0: not not in this book, okay? No, because okay. I mean, the the canonical copycats all like all of those crimes happen later, right? Like i I didn't read much about the victims beyond the canonical five because that's what the book deals with, so that's why I wanted to know about. Um, but you know, the only. The only stretches of time you get at all beyond like the stretch of 88 where this stuff actually happened were the prologue and epilogue with, um, with, um, Lees and Aberline, you know, talking about what had happened. Yep. Um, a brief sequence with a gull in the asylum in like the 1890s, I think, seeing the past and future and declaring that he is God and then dying. Mm hmm. And that's pretty much it. Like you don't you don't see any of those other, what was it, a total of six other people who are thought to have possibly been
1: yes. um, Ripper murders. Yeah, there were two or three ahead of time. Um because I think the first one I'm I'm bouncing back and forth between JacktheRipper.org and the rest of my notes. Um but the one The earliest one is Martha Tabram, I believe. Well, there's some debate over that. There's Mary Nichols, who's actually the first of the five. There was a woman who was killed in April, but was just like stabbed and then died later. There was a torso that they found in 1889 that they're just like, I don't know. This is a lady's torso. Must be Jack the Ripper, I guess, because we never caught him. Um, So there's a couple uh, a few years, you know, a year later, a few months later, after after november 88 uh where they're like maybe he's still out there or maybe it's just someone doing it and then if you do it in a way that jack the ripper might have done it you'll never get caught because they'll assume it has to match the pattern and like they have to roll it into actual jack the ripper um Mm. which is kind of scary like to think about that
0: sure yeah, I mean the, the reality the book presents is that these five were the only people killed by Gaul and so okay, they're the sure. only people who it's really worried about. Because sure. it's a story about it's a story about Gaul first and foremost, I guess. What and then maybe like, yeah. like Aberline and 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 some folks after. But yeah. Cool. Um
1: was it spooky? Or kind of grisly?
0: I mean, it was grisly. Yeah. I'm not it was, none of it's gonna keep me up at night, but definitely if I were younger or had a more sensitive stomach i would have had a lot of trouble with this
1: you wouldn't necessarily worry about stuff going bump in the in like a dark room
0: no but i would just be like very grossed by some of the (laughs) very graphic things that are portrayed
1: um and then does it feel like a good like collection from like a through line are there like big are there breaks in the serialization of it that like aside from just that's the end that's the next page is there like a rhythm to the serialization that you could feel as you were reading it or does it not really read that way
0: I mean sure yeah I wasn't sure like what the each I mean it insofar as a chapter book that's split up into different chapters sure. presents each chapter to you as its own chunk, then yes, it did read like a book.
1: But it's not like every chapter <laughs> opens up with like a shot of the cops smoking and saying a thing and then like you dive in like there's not or like a theme no, song or no, something. No,
0: no, There's no no, there's no theme okay. song. I
1: wasn't sure how continuous it was. I just wanted to know. Yes, I know it's a book. It goes so in mean, order.
0: Occasionally, a chapter will pick up like right after the end of one where it's ended on a particular cliffhanger note. Sure. Um, but then sometimes they just take advantage of a chapter break to also do a perspective shift. Okay. But there's not like a consistent thing that they're doing. Cool,
1: cool, cool, cool. All right. Well, I think that's from hell, Andrew. Thanks for going to hell and reporting back.
0: You're welcome. I feel like we're spending a lot of time down there these days. Yeah, man. If we're going to... Oh, boy. I should just... I should um, point out that the gall theory that it was him who who done these murders is pretty widely like disbelieved. Okay, sure. Um, Because apparently in real life, he was 71 and not <laughs> super well.
1: Oh, no. Like, he...
0: He died in real life in 1890, so he would not have, like, two years before, like, I don't know, people get up to all kinds of stuff, but two years before that, it doesn't seem super likely that he would be, like, gutting broads in the street in the way that he does in this book.
1: There's the one that's supposed to have been, like, what they call the double event, where two of them were killed within, like, a few minutes and less than a mile from each other. Um, Uh And, you know... Older man in the 1880s. I mean, you know, he's got
0: a driver, you know, he's it's not like he's running. That's
1: fair, I suppose. Uh, but good to know that that's debunked. It wasn't him, and that this book is all a lie.
0: Or was it?
1: That's so spooky. Send
0: in who can
1: say? Send in your Jack the Ripper theories uh, to pod at gmail.com. We're going to get to the bottom of this. No one else has been able to. We're going to solve it. Um, or post them publicly on facebook.com slash overdue or twitter.com slash overdue pod if you think your theory is strong enough uh thanks to folks when reaching out in the last week since we last recorded an episode we do these out of time now i don't know what is time um steve rachel chris courtney colleen dan aaron john karen carrie uh cheyenne and our new pal oprah um or actually mackenzie jean-philippe who wrote a great article uh, about book podcasts and included us on opramag.com. Andrew, there's another website people should know about. What is it?
0: Overduepodcast.com, It's an internet website. Go up there. You got Apple podcasts. You got Google play. You got our RSS feed. We're also available on Spotify and Stitcher and other places where fine podcasts are sold for no money. <laughs> if you subscribe an Apple podcast, do you rate and review us? Yeah, but good ones only please, please. Um, you can find episodes that we like if you're trying to get into the show and you don't want to listen in order because the first few dozen are just like not great. Um, that is uh, our dot slash new dash listener. It's also a link on the website. We also have a Patreon project that Craig mentioned a little bit earlier. Patreon.com slash overdue pod. Give us a paper.
1: Give us that paper.
0: Your paper has paid. I mean, it continues to pay for books, of course. But also in the last uh, month or two, it has paid for uh, computer upgrades for Craig, a new mixer for me. And then going forward, when Henry starts going to daycare, it will start paying for daycare for my child. So it's just it's very important all around.
1: Yeah. And daycare for me. Next week, I'm reading. And daycare
0: for Craig, which I didn't think you still needed.
1: It's not an everyday thing.
0: The daycare, the cost of daycare starts really high when you're a baby and then goes down. So probably like five day daycare for you would be like $20 a week.
1: Well, I don't want to divulge the rates of this you're very like nice 30, daycare that I go to.
0: You're 33 and you don't have a lot of... Are you 33?
1: I don't know. Next week, I'm reading The Ghost Bride by Yanksy You're 33
0: Xu. as of a week ago because remember, 21st night of September. What
1: is time? I'm not...
0: Mm. I've been 33 for a hot 11 months So like I don't have a lot of sympathy for mm. you but This is that The the overdue equinox Where we are the same age for a month For a whole
1: month <laughs> it's always spooked over It's so scary <laughs> So far 33 is Waking up and banging your knee And cutting your leg open On your bed frame And then bleeding in your bed while you're asleep And then yeah. a few days later You get sick That's <laughs>
0: Yeah, stuff just hurts all the time for no reason. It sucks.
1: Why do they call it the Jesus year? Well, because you endure a lot of pain, apparently. Yeah,
0: and you just start bleeding from your hands. It's a whole thing. Anyway, everybody, thanks for joining us for another Spooktober. It's gonna be a spooky one, I think. I got a, we got a lot of spooky plans. Craig, do you wanna tell them about the spooky schedule? I, I said, yeah, we're reading I'm reading the ghost bride. Oh, did you bride. say it already? I'm
1: reading the ghost bride by Yang Si Chu. We also told told them about it last week. Um, yeah,
0: but I mean tell them again.
1: And then we're gonna They might th- have got oh so scared God. that they forgot. Then we're gonna talk about uh Pen Pal by Dathan Auerbach. Then we're gonna talk about Psycho by the Dude Who Wrote
0: Psycho. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm doing it from memory, and then we're gonna do uh, a Nightmare Before Christmas. That'll be our bonus episode again. Not the
0: movie, like some novelization yeah, kind of thing yeah. of
1: it. And we're, we're gonna do that. uh Go to Patreon.com/slashOviedoPod if you want to join us for the recording or get that bonus episode early. You know the drill. Andrew, this has been a long outro. It's scaring me that we'll never get out of here. Please let me out of we're this dark room. <laughs> All
0: right, everybody. Until we talk to you next week, try to be scary.